A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. My name's Tom Bedell and I'm joined by Jordan Weimer. There is no Matt Messiano today. He's taken relegation that badly. He didn't want to show up. Uh, no, we're only joking. It's his birthday. Jordan, how are you? Yeah, doing doing well, all uh, all things considered. Um, it's weird. Again, not, this, is, this is this is the second time or third time we've done this without Matt. Always feels a little odd. Yeah. Give a makeshift, makeshift front two. Um, kind of Alex Hayo, Forrest Dieri style front two today. <laughs> Um, <laughs> not the most effective, but we'll we'll definitely try. Um, I'd say I'm definitely the Alex Hayho of the two. Oh, anyway, uh, yeah, Hayho. it's you can't have two Alex Hayhos, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been it's been a another disappointing weekend of football. But obviously, lots to talk about. As I'm sure we won't be talking too much about the uh, the game itself. Still plenty to cover. So yeah, how are you yes. doing, Tom? Yeah, good, mate. Funny you should mention Alex Aho. I went out for a few drinks on Saturday night after going to the Wheelstone game instead of watching Watford. And uh, Alex Aho got mentioned among a few other players that friends uh, and I believe are were sort of technically gifted players that got a pretty raw deal at Watford, uh, also including Stefano Akaka and uh, Jose Manuel Gerardo. I really hoped that, that that story was going to you having a drink with Alex Hayo on Friday. Night. <laughs> I wish I had uh, a drink with Alex Hayo on Saturday <laughs> night. Yeah, <laughs> he was a good player. Actually, he actually contributed in a few games pretty well. He was, uh, yeah, he was a decent player. I, I like that. I like that. So, there you go. forty good. years old now. Well, that's good a longer grief. That seems impossible, yeah. doesn't it? How yeah. well it, it says everything you need to know about our current plight that we've spent the first two minutes of this podcast after relegation talking about <laughs> a guy who spent one season here ten years ago. Um, <laughs> I think we'll probably spend more time on him than we will the Palace game, as you say. But <sighs> the the raw numbers are disappointing, are, are frustrating, and the performance and the result and th- there's just it seems like there was nothing good to say about it. Can you say? anything good what how do you sum it up I mean a good thing I can say is that it's over now um (laughs) that being the game I think it was just I mean it is baffling honestly I think it was a game which was a must win I mean you cannot get you cannot find a better definition of a must win game when literally a draw or loss is relegation so considering that um the fact that we approached the game as we did was extremely disappointing and I don't think we looked like we were trying to win the game at all whether that's from uh, you know you could argue personnel but just set up and approach and uh, the way we play the game was just just not that of a team that's looking to try and win a game which is so pathetic to say because that's really the minimum requirement and uh, yeah it was it was not uh, it was not pleasant viewing I don't think anyone enjoyed that and you know really disappointing for for the fans that went there I think when you get to yeah. this point in the season with with the your fate somewhat decided at that point, even if not mathematically before kickoff, you want to see something from your players to give you a little bit of excitement, perhaps for next year or just just some level of entertainment. But there really was, it really was devoid of entertainment from a Watford perspective, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, it was not, it wasn't good. Hodgson said afterwards, um, we said a lot of things and we'll get into those, I think, but he said afterwards, you know, he was pleased they gave it their all. Um, we had 32% of the ball and one shot on target in 90 minutes against Crystal Palace, who, though improved this season, remain Crystal Palace. Yes. Is that indicative I mean, of how low standards are, or is he just living in cloud cuckoo land? I, I, I just don't see the foundation that, uh, of that statement. I don't understand how you can, how you can view that. Uh, as, a, as a team, given their all, especially when you've even under Hodgson, we've seen better performances, even if you're just gauging it purely on 
what the team have been offering on the pitch in terms of uh, intensity and, and, and commitment that definitely wasn't there to the degree that that Roy seemed to mention. And, you know, as you say, there are some, some strange comments. I think tying into that one is is that the the fact that he, I, I don't want to I've completely butchered his his quote, but he said something along the lines of um, that it was one of our best you could ask for performances away from home in, in terms of output. And I thought that was just a a shocking um, summary or shocking thing to come away with from uh, from a really really poor away game. Absolutely. Unless you've got anything else to say about the game, I mean, the players sort of grumbled a bit about Hassan Kamara being sent off. I just don't think people want to hear about it particularly, to be honest. The no, narrative. I mean, the only thing, only thing to say, really, in regards to the game itself, I think there were some comments about a few of the players. Um, I think KMB was mentioned as, as one that was kind of being picked out a little bit. It's just not being good enough. Um, obviously, you mentioned Kamara being sent off there. A few questions about him. Um, apart from that, there was, not, there was not too much really to discuss from the game. The only thing that I, I will say, just kind of still loosely connected to the game was the after the game scenes with Hodgson were just bizarre have you seen did you see yeah so that is that is what I was going to go on to yeah the kind of the post-match um Roy Hodgson farewell tour where (laughs) he didn't have the energy to go and see the fans that had traveled to support his shower of shite but Mm. was quite happy to grin and laugh and and take the applause of um, take the applause of the, the Palace fans at Selhurst Park. And um, I must admit, I've tried to remain open-minded to him throughout his tenure and not kind of write him off as the worst Watford manager ever and someone who's kind of taking the piss out of Watford fans. But a guy of his experience and what have you and, and knowing how football fans are, must realise the optics of that are terrible, right? What did, yeah. What did you think? I, I mean, I, I just don't see how you look at that. I mean, re- regardless of how objective you try to remain on, on the topic, I don't see how how you can look at those pictures after the game. Uh, not, I mean, seconds after the final whistle were gone, he's smiling, shaking the hands of James Tonkins, having a chat. And look, I know these are these are personal connections that that you have. He's coached them previously for a number of years, and and these are these are guys that he's familiar with. So I'm sure there's going to be some conversation there, but it's just purely for the uh, as you say, the optics um, mm-hmm. from from a Watford standpoint. You just you just don't, you know. And, and the farewell tour, a lap around the stadium, kind of whatever it was, half lap, uh, kind of keep blowing kisses to the to the Palace fans. Just <laughs> it's just really really out of touch and. Honestly, I, I, it's it's bad from Hodgson. It's just embarrassing for the club. Honestly, mm. um, not in terms of the the fact that the club have done something to embarrass themselves. It's the fact that your manager sees fit to do that it just makes you look stupid as well. It's just it's just a really bad look all around. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the what the players did at full time. I'm not sure how many of the players came over to the to the home end. I was watching. Uh, I was I was watching through uh, through the zones. So it didn't really show that. I just kind of focused in more on on Hodgson. But I mean, these are basic things, really, Tom. I, I don't understand. I mean, I think to me, it's still shocking in in, in many ways that that all the players in the manager don't come to the to the away crowd, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the result. Anyway, I, I think it's a very very small gesture that can be done to to show some minute level of, uh, of appreciation for you know a committed group of fans and that could even be said for the home the home games too but to not do it in such a situation um i i think it's truly pathetic honestly i think it's terrible no i couldn't agree couldn't agree couldn't disagree sorry quite different mm. uh with anything you said there mate it just it just kind of aligns with everything we think we think about this group of players, doesn't it? Or we think we know about this group of players that, you know, they're just completely spineless, feckless, just do not care, just picking up their salaries and going home and just, or, you know, and in performance levels, just really just phoning in, going home and and, and, and not caring, not hurting like we do. And, and and obviously no one expects, you know, players that come and go to, to care as much as we do, but they're still, you know, professional pride. It's still going to have a knock-on effect for some of those guys, you know. Um, it's probably all right for Dennis and and, uh, and Saul. Obviously they will, you would reasonably assume, still get moves, but there are people that are, you know, probably not going to be wanted here, not going to be needed here, um, who are going to need to find another a club. And you would think at the very least they would be, you know, putting it in to get that... Um, 
to get that move, get that you know best possible move, best possible contract for next season if it, if it's not going to be here. And what you said earlier about the kind of freedom of relegation, what have you, I think it's it's so true. I can remember the 0607 relegation very well, which was one which was confirmed before the season was out. And you know we went to Reading. Uh, I think we've been quite bad on the way on the road that season, but we went to Reading, who had obviously a brilliant season and finished seventh, I think, and won. And you just think, you know, like the pressure's off at this point. We'd kind of all accepted that relegation was happening. I mean, we'll get onto this as well, but even Roy Hodgson said afterwards that he didn't understand why there was a big fuss about the Palace game. We were already relegated in his eyes, which is just another, just what world are you living in, mate, thing yeah. to say. Even if we all accept it, you can't come out and say that. Um, yeah. You know, you'd think that they would play with some kind of freedom at that stage if they were, they were so convinced they were down already, but yeah, it just didn't come to pass, did it? Yeah, and then, you know, Roy's in, in his, uh, I believe, post-match um, interviews is saying things like, you know, it's a privilege to be playing in the Premier League. Um, you, you should be honest to do so. It's a privilege to, to manage in the league and you should take every opportunity you have and enjoy every moment. But there's so little to demonstrate that. And I, I think when it comes to to motivating players, even if it is in a difficult situation, you know, you, you're facing relegation, most likely to be relegated. There's still a way to harbour a culture amongst a group of players to be to be more positive and to try and to try and rectify some of those some of those internal issues that we can't we can't directly comment on so many of them because we just don't have the access to the information. But there are clear problems there, and as you say, it comes across as 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 weak, uh, fragile. A uh, group of group of players that aren't able to to sustain um, a positive mindset, and it, it seems to be compounded. It, any sort of negative experience just seems to open the floodgates, and it's just a downward spiral from there. There's no there's no resilience amongst the players at, at times. It feels like, and perhaps that's not the case. Perhaps it's the case in some areas, but the players just don't do anything as a as a collective, and very rarely as individuals to to make you think otherwise. And it's it's a real difficult one to address, and one that can only be addressed internally. But uh, I think that's one of the main things that has to be sorted or at least addressed. Uh, I mean, sorting it is, is a complicated issue, but mm. uh, we need to see some sort of change. And whether that comes through uh, the way that you recruit, whether it comes through your, your 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 leadership from the top or from your head coach or a combination of all, all the factors at play, it's definitely something that has to be addressed. Otherwise, we're just going to keep seeing repeating of, of these cycles because as a professional club in this sort of competitive environment, there's a very competitive division for us. Every time we get promoted, it's going to be extremely hard uh, and you have to be able to, you have to be able to fight and, and, and be combative. And I don't just mean on the pitch, I mean uh, amidst tough circumstances, which you're always going to face. So hopefully that's uh, that's something we see some some positive signs out of in the in the postseason here. Do you give him the remaining home games? I, I think he will get them. But if if you were the one, uh, you know, pulling the trigger or otherwise, would you give him the next two games? There seems to be two sort of prevailing schools of thought. One, he deserves to draw the ire of Vicarage Road against Everton on Wednesday night, and then Leicester on Sunday. The other being, and this is the camp I'm in, let's try and have a, some sort of positive end to the season and that is not possible while while he's in the dugout. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, if you take out compensation issues out of the equation, I think basically for me, the issue would be purely down to, to finances. If it, if it costs us a penny to get rid of Roy Hodgson, just don't bother. Just get the season done. Just move, move on from there. Just kind of finish off the season. But if all things were the same, if you're able to, if it's a simple choice of keep and we'll go, then yeah, I'd say go. I think it's not a positive situation as is now. Uh, it's not getting any better. But before before Roy's gone, and I'm not saying Roy's the sum of all the problems here, but it's still not going to improve before the end of the season. The relegation's confirmed. There's clearly not a good feel around the club, and things have to change. So I, I think parting ways as quickly as possible. Um, uh, should be done. I think you have to look at these remaining games now as a pre-season. I know Roy's mentioned himself, given the, the the ownership, the ability to look at some of these players that are going to be around next year and kind of assess some things by seeing them play. So yeah, you, we can do that. We can look at this. We can treat this as somewhat of an extended pre-season if, if that's what we need to do. Um, and I think if you can if you can get some of that from Hodgson, fine. But um, yeah, if it was purely a decision based on what I'd like, then it'd be for for Hodgson not to be involved in those two fixtures. Um, and I'm assuming that's that's the side you fall on too yeah absolutely and I said you know I've tried to remain sort of level-headed about it and not get kind of too caught up in the emotional aspect because I think you know some of the things that people have gotten frustrated about until now you know we talked about these kind of comments and I think it was the Brighton game where he said you know we we um 
obviously he made changes didn't he that weren't universally popular and said you know mm. we, we didn't have control or we lost control or something like that and then we the, what the game where he took um loser off and put KMB on and said oh they're the same player anyway and stuff like that. you know mm. he said some things that people don't necessarily agree with and 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 I would count myself among that but I, I've never felt like that he's taking the piss the way that people some people have quite vocally no. on Twitter. Um, I, I quite admire his honesty and bluntness. You know, he's come in from the word go and said he's going to, you know, he's got he's got no dog in this fight almost. He's just going to try and keep us up. He said from the word go it's going to be difficult. Um, it, the things that have come out of his mouth have just got stranger and stranger. And I'm always wary of trying to gauge what the wider fan base feels based on Twitter. You know, I only follow kind of a couple of thousand people and not all of them are Watford fans. But if that's in any way representative of what the wider match going Watford supporter base feels then I just don't feel that there's any good to come from him having the last two games the ideal world I reckon would be and I don't think they'd do it because they're mates but Ray Lewington taking those two on his own you know someone that we've got as a warmth and affinity for that's already in kind of situ and will just do it with dignity and 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 try and give us some kind of scrap of optimism mm. to to finish with but I think as he's a kind of you know, pitched his wagon to Roy Hodgson over the last decade or so. It's very unlikely um, yeah. he would do that to his mate. Um, so, yeah, I think, and I, I don't to be honest with you, I think he's going to be there, isn't he? Basically, it's, you know, he's very much talking in those terms. And I, I think the club have, from Adam Leventhal's reporting certainly seem maybe tuned in for the first time to the fact that they are viewed in this way of being this higher and fire and club and, and probably want to prove that they can hold on to a manager for a little bit longer. So, it's going to be very interesting. I've got a morbid curiosity about these next two games, which the both of which I'm going to be going to. So uh, okay, yes, yeah. I'll be very interested to see what the atmosphere is is like. Yeah, and I think from that it would be interesting to see what the what the atmosphere is like towards Hodgson. But I think it's also going to be the first time uh, that I can really think of that there's going to be the potential for some real. Um, some real kind of frustration directed yeah. at uh, the ownership and and Scott Duxbury and so on. I think there was a picture of some some makeshift banner uh, calling for Duxbury out or, or something at, at Palace. So to see those sorts of things around the stadium be quite interesting because you know as, as Adam Levent Adam Leventhal pointed out in his in his article, it's just, it's not too long ago. It's you know the in Juno we trust banners and the big the big Juno um, like Tifa that goes across the the, the stadium, and it's, it's suddenly seeming less and less likely to be seeing those and things. Things are fraying. The, the relationship's frayed somewhat, and it's going to be interesting to see how that's handled. And I think there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of bitterness and frustration that comes out in that game, especially if we see another negative, heartless performance. They got away with it last time, didn't they? Because obviously by that stage, the, the stadiums were empty and, and because of COVID in, in 2020. 2020. Yeah. Um, and then prior to that, you know, we've mostly expected to be relegated, haven't we? 06, 07, fully expected. Uh, 99, 2000, totally expected. So, you know, this is this is unique this season. There will be supporters. There will be anger and disappointment. And I think for the first time, a real opportunity to to voice those frustrations against mm. the people yeah, that make the think, decisions. I think also, I think even last, last season, oh, not last season, season before that relegation, I, I feel like we actually put up more of a fight as well. I, I feel Agreed. like the, the running, we actually, we did put up some level of fight and obviously it went down to the last day, but just despite some really poor performances such as West Ham away, we still were at least showing some levels of fight. Whereas this one has really just been, you know, just slowly ambling towards your own grave. It's been it's been monstrously depressing to to watch some of these games, and I think uh, more no more than uh, the game, no more so than the games that have been at home, and that's obviously where the majority of support are, are witnessing these things. So it, it'll be interesting, as you say. I'm, I'm morbidly curious as well. So mm. we'll find out shortly. Certainly will. Two final things before we get on to questions. We've got an absolute bumper crop of questions from our listeners. Um, you mentioned it earlier and I was going to mention it again, the the kind of idea of building for next season and, and Hodgson talking about using players that maybe haven't been used. Who would you like to see? Who do you think that kind of um, encapsulates in the, in the final three games? Well, I guess it depends how seriously they, they he means that in terms of how how many changes they'll make in order to, to kind of facilitate that that. that, that 
kind of game plan of watching your players over the last couple. But, you know, I'm interested in a couple. I, I want to see more of Kian Bay because I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to see exactly what um, what we're, we're bringing him in for. Um, he's not really not really shown too many positives just yet. He's kind of able to be a little bit involved, but he plays very sideways, doesn't drive any pace or power, just kind of a, a midfielder that's often just there. Um, obviously, we've got Kalu, who's been on the bench, but not really featured much. No, he had a bit of an injury um, a while ago, but yeah, not featured. So maybe see Kalu. I think it's an opportunity to maybe look at Ngakia again. Um, you know, I'm sure the club feels somewhat aware of Ngakia, but they, you know they've obviously seen a fair bit of him um, in game situations, but also training, obviously, seeing a lot. Uh, but he's one that's still a question mark over going into next season. And then, you know, you've got some others involved that could potentially play Trusta Kong maybe, but it, it, there's, a, there's a few players there, but nothing that is screaming out um, in, in terms of someone that we just have as a big, big question mark on other than really Kalu for me. Um, and yeah, and Kayembe. I mean, it's also a shame. So one thing I will just add, it's a real mm. shame we've not been able to see more of a Tebow because I think he's someone that could have contributed next year. But I guess mm. if we if we feel that we don't want to trigger the kind of the the, the clause in his contract, which you know resigns us to signing him permanently, if we don't want to go down that route, then I understand. But this is disappointing because I thought he was one of the bright spots early on before his injury. Yeah, agreed. I, I think uh, it's a shame that some of the guys that are out on loan. I mean, I don't know. I might be wrong, but I. I would presume with the the football league finishing up, um, a lot of those guys probably still can't come back and be involved. Not registered, no. Yeah, that's it. So it's it's a shame because in in in, in days of gone by, you might have got a couple of them um, mm. in the likes of Tom Daly Bashir and, and so on. Um, yeah, I think the really interesting point made there is is Ngakia because he's established player in a sense, but he's kind of he's not really had a look in this year, and it gets to a point at his age where he must think, you know, what am I doing here if I'm not going to get an opportunity, but if we're not sold on him either, then I yeah. dare say that's not going to change anytime soon. So an interesting time for him. Just finally on the game, and then we will get into those questions, Ben Foster's comments on Instagram, obviously someone that's drawn a lot of ire mm. this season for various reasons, be it performance, be it off-field stuff. I thought it was good of him to come out and be, you know, pretty honest. And I think he always has been. What did you read into those comments? What did you take from those? Just for anyone who hasn't seen it, he said, you don't really know what you're going to get from us, to be perfectly honest. We've got too many players who are happy to put it in for an hour or 70 minutes, but then probably fall off and happily let it go in the last 20 minutes. Mm. Yeah, I think he has, you know, he's a player, he's a senior player. He has the right to an opinion um, in that sense. I think I don't necessarily disagree with him. Mm. I just don't think that, I just don't think he's really has a footing to to kind of make those comments as, in a, in a sense because I think he's been guilty of that himself. Not in the sense not in the sense that he's given up after seventy minutes, but if you're talking about if you're talking about players giving up after seventy minutes on just not knowing what to get from them, it's questioning their their commitment to the cause. It's questioning their questioning their professionalism. And Ben Foster has really been one of those that's been at most um, that has been criticised more than many more than any other in the team really when it comes to those principles there. And I think. I, I'm just not convinced by it. I, I just don't enjoy. I, I don't enjoy what Ben Foster brings to the club off the field. I think he's had some decent games. He's had, you know, he's had, he's played well at times, but it's always this under undercurrent of kind of frustration with with Ben Foster because of this this off the field stuff over the last couple of years. I just don't think it's helped. Um, it, it's not a good. It's not a good lens to to look at the club through. I don't think a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, mostly kind of summed up for me by the the tweet he had before the game where he's kind of promoting some upcoming video the day before a relegation battle or sorry, a potential relegation. I just think it's just very, very out of touch. And look, I, I've commented on this before. I think Ben Foster has been through some really difficult times in his footballing career in terms of, you know, ups and downs. There's some quite, some quite, some quite low points uh, over his career. And I think that a way that he's kind of learned to deal with that is to somewhat disassociate from the sport when he's not playing, when he's not training, have other hobbies, have other interests. I think that's healthy. I think that's good for some professionals. I think in a certain, for a certain sort of person, I think it's a good way of coping with the pressure of, of your job. And I think it, it does work a lot. But for me, it just crossed a little bit of a line uh, when it becomes a pursuit that does interfere with uh, with your job in some way. Because whilst he says he's given everything, uh, it, it can't, 
it's not a true statement in the sense that we know he has other obligations. We know he has other interests. He's literally playing games for other teams during the season. Whether it's charity or not, it's it, it's it's still taxing. It's a risk of potential injury. I mean, how professional would it be if Ben Foster did get an injury, broke his hand and was out for six months or mm. something, and we and we also did another first-team injury? Then what, what's that? Then you're losing a competitive advantage because you have a player getting injured off club time. Yeah, you know, and I know these are just hypotheticals, but these are risks that are being taken. So for me, the statement... Whilst not necessarily wrong, I just think it's a little bit, um, little bit hypocritical. I must admit, in, in a season of kind of off-field misdemeanors, I'd entirely forgotten that he played in that twenty-four hour charity match, hadn't he? And there was some yeah. speculation at the time that his injury uh, was connected to that. I mean, it may very well have been, and the club covered it up. But yeah, I just, I don't know what I think about it because I'm sure he's. I, I would like to think he's given his all, but he has. Mm objectively come up short if you look at the the metrics hasn't he like the mm. the um the differential between expected goals against and what he's actually conceded is is pretty pretty shocking um and it's not necessarily all on him but it's uh one of the kind of best advanced metrics to measure a goalkeeper performance by and it's uh it's by some distance the worst in the league so yes i don't think anyone sticking their head above the parapet is going to be well received but at the same time and 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 as a contradiction to that i think we are owed some honesty and some kind of introspection from the people that are responsible for this relegation be it the players and those all those in the boardroom uh whether we get either remains to be seen yeah and to to be clear on foster situation too it's it's so it's almost at this point so far down the the list of issues that have yeah. have been circulating around the club it's all it's it's not something that we're necessarily bringing up to 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 kind of point out at the root of our problems it's not but it is it is indicative of um of a culture that's that's kind of been produced at the club but there is a, just a, a lack of it feels like a lack of seriousness at times it just feels like we're we're kind of guests in the league rather than competing like we have done previously. And I think it only takes one of these situations individually to look at, but they pile up and they can become, they can become a real problem. And I think, I think this one with Foster has definitely been the most vocalised, most publicised of these sorts of things, but it, it, it's not the only one. And I think it's, it's something that's obviously worth addressing. And I think I do give credit to Ben Foster at least for having some words about it it's been they've been quite few and far between and mm. uh, there's, there's been quite a few out of touch kind of social media posts since then i saw there's one uh from mr sissoko kind of <laughs> discussing yeah. his entrepreneurship <laughs> and it's just you know i know it's the reality of the sport i know it but it, I, I think that if he even just had a little bit more tact a little bit more understanding um, and, and appreciation for for those that support the club and and maybe kind of avoid those things for a week or so that'd be great they've all got people around them haven't they you know be it um yeah. agents advisors family friends whatever and just think one of them might have the common one of those people might have the common sense to say just just hold off on that post about being it goes a long way it yeah goes a it long really way. does yeah I'm really, sure he doesn't even run. I'm sure he doesn't run his account, but, but and, the and that's it. Does should it? be smarter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. We've seen hundreds of examples of it down the years, haven't we? And and you know the player regularly then comes Joe out Hart goes, a few years ago. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Regularly comes out and says, "Oh, it wasn't me. It was my people." But again, what are you paying these people for if they're showing that lack of tact? It's um, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's maddening. So anyway, we've depressed ourselves enough. Let's uh, let's <laughs> and dive into listening to this as well. Yeah, oh, that's it. Sorry, guys. Uh, let's dive into some questions. As I said, we've got loads of good questions. Um, I'm going to try and do them in order of how they kind of fell on Twitter, and let's see if we don't miss any. So the first one is from GWR underscore Nick, and I always wonder if that means Great Western Railway. I may or may not be looking into something that isn't there. Just railway obsessed, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, that's it. I just love the trains. That's why I live so near one. Um, uh, how many players over the age of 30 would you keep for next season and which? Nick would keep uh, Cathcart and Kutzka and try and shuffle cleverly into the coaching staff. What say you? Um, I think it really depends. I think when it comes to I think when it comes to the age uh, of these athletes, it's at the point now where it's, it's really at a player-by-player player basis. I think the, the idea of cutting off a player at a certain age is is a little bit kind of bypassed now. The 
the, the the varying levels of performance after 30 have just be kind of accounted for individually it's hard to tell uh from this standpoint but i'd say you know likes of euro kuchka there's there's some upside there still a little bit of uncertainty about the actual deal i've seen mixed reports on if that is i know we kind of have said mm. it's permanent but i'm still not sure now since my other stuff too um so I, i'm not sure if that's uh that's been resolved but yeah he's one that he does offer something uh, Cathcart as well there's there's some value there and it's all kind of dependent on these individual deals as well they might have um, if they've got a club friendly contract situation should we be relegated then then that also helps but yeah I think moving on from some of course obviously Foster uh, Cleverly Gosling these sorts of players really aren't needed for next season I'd say we have to kind of look at readdressing those areas with, with different types of players not necessarily don't have to be under 30 but out of the group we have I'd say those are definitely ones that have to be looked at and moved on yeah, no, I agree. I, I quite like Kuzco, and I think although he's got this evident downside of always uh, tiring after the, the hour, I think there's still some value there. He is combative and and just, I don't know, it's, it's quite simple stuff, but he just runs around, looks well, like he's giving seen... his all, doesn't he? And I like that. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen the, the the depth of fixtures that we're going to be facing, and we, we we've done it last year. We know how yeah. how taxing that can be. And even if you have someone that can contribute for for thirty minutes a, a game, that still has value. Um, I, I think it's something that we still have to be we have to we have to kind of appreciate somewhat. Uh, I think also to another one that I forgot, kind of sneaking sneaking in there is uh, Christian Cavaselli is thirty one as well, isn't he? So ah, yes. um, he's one that that would. What, what would you? What are your thoughts on Cavaselli for next year? This is, I think we touched on this a little bit before, you know, he's probably a perfectly serviceable championship defender, but you also want to do want to get out of this cycle, don't you? Because if we, if we assume that we're going to be in the promotion hunt within the next year or so, there's every then danger he's still with us in the Premier League. And yeah, I, he's not a Premier League defender. So it's kind of tricky. I'd be perfectly happy with him being back up, but I really would like to see them try and build something now and, you know, Same. make a and put an emphasis on building around someone like Sir Alta, uh, yeah. who's considerably younger, and I think we all are bigger fans of him than evidently Roy Hodgson was, um, or, yeah. or Claudio Ranieri as well. You know, Matty Pollock. Coming actually, back. sorry, that's Sir Alta's one actually that we could even throw in as an argument for the just to kind of backtrack a little bit mm. in terms of going into that game to be to be assessed. He's one that could potentially be in there. Definitely, so, yeah, yeah. His his lack of involvement has been bizarre, hasn't it? it, it doesn't ever seem to crop up in the, the injury yeah. news, does he? So you have to assume it's a preference thing, but I can't see yeah. what they've seen in the current setup that means he has to be excluded. Um, this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Next one is from Richard Steeden, Steed RL on Twitter. If you go down the route of a young coach such as Eustace or Manning, does that mean you have to anticipate a two or three year rebuild rather than instant return to the Premier League? Could Gino make that adjustment and does finance allow it? It's probably the million dollar question, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it, it doesn't mean it has to be uh, that. It does, obviously, any any big changes are going to have that risk, but we have to make a big change anyway. I don't think it's any less likely that we get promoted because we appoint a, a younger manager or less experienced in a covers manager. Uh, I, I think it's it's a risk you have to take. Yes, we bounced back last time, the first attempt. That's great. But we just as easily couldn't could have not done that. So um, I, I don't think it's that the preparation was so much better last time. I mean, and us having a more experienced older manager, I, I don't think it's really as relevant. I, it's a project no matter what. And if you are going to be looking at it as a longer-term project, that's, that's good in some ways. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they don't have the same goals and targets. I think it's still going to obviously be that that idea you want to achieve promotion, whether that's automatic or via playoffs, that's the, that's the main target. And I'm sure they'll try and give them the the tools to do that with as best they can or or at least, you know, try to get close. So it, it really just depends on the, the situation as a whole. I think we can judge that a little bit more fairly once we see kind of what, what the state of the club is coming into that first mm. game. But... I think we have at least have to have in mind if we. Do, I think perhaps what you're getting at as well there in, in terms of the question is if things don't go well, do we accept it a little bit more quick? Do, are we a little mm. more open to accepting failure on the first attempt because we have a younger manager? And in that sense, I would say yes because I think if you yeah. are trying to build the project, you have to you have to allow these things to to, to transpire and transpire in some ways. But um, obviously, trying to find that balance and still remaining competitive and giving yourself a good shot. What, what about what you? What you thinking there? Yeah, it's tricky. It's it's something I wrote about in the in the week because I do have some. I, I'm conflicted about the season ahead. On the one hand, I'm looking forward to it. It's the championship, and hopefully, we'll win more games, even if we're not in the promotion shakeup. But um, I have some level of trepidation. You know, we don't know who's going to leave, what the financial demands are, what financial constraints are. I don't think we're going to go down and spend. A lot of money, if if any, certainly, but certainly the the kind of noises about a young British coach uh, and the preparing to shop in a market that costs rather than just picking up freebies are encouraging, if nothing else. Um, the ideal world is obviously we bring in someone like John Eustace, uh, who is a very popular former player and and represents a change of direction. They're immediately brilliant and and steer us up to the Premier League, playing brilliant football with a team full of youngsters all born in the WD18 postcode, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Back in the real world, it could go one or two ways. And if it does go, you know, south, I hope they stick with that person, whoever it is, um, Eustace Manning, Liam Richardson, Rob Edwards, whoever it is, all the names that, that Adam Leventhal's been reporting, and yeah. actually try and build something. But my fear is what whoever comes in, experienced or otherwise, the, the necessity to get promoted will override anything else. And then if we get promoted, the necessity to survive will override anything else. Because, you know, look at these appointments this season that we've we've picked them apart to death. You know, they were appointments with just keep us up and nothing else matters um, front and centre. And it will be the same next season. Just get us up. Nothing else matters. Um, so pr- prove me wrong, Gino, I guess. But Yeah, I- that's the thing, isn't it? it, is, it can, you, can we see a change? Are we going to see that change? It's going to. It's, we're going to find out, basically. But you'd like to imagine that we we will be taking some steps to to perhaps look at things a little bit differently and allow us to uh, to potentially kind of make a bigger shift as as a, in terms of how we operate in general, rather than just kind of mm. sticking to the same the same thing and and hoping that it, it turns out differently. I think you're right. 
Next question is from Lee Jackson underscore one. Do we really believe that the club will admit to making fundamental mistakes and rewrite the blueprint for future success, including backing a new manager in recruitment and philosophy for a prolonged period of time? I think we probably just talked about the second part of that question there, but do, do we believe that the club will admit to errors and, and kind of change their ways? The early indications from Adam Leventhal are they're certainly trying to change their ways in terms of admitting that they've made mistakes it would go down well with fans but what do you reckon yeah i mean i think we'd like to see some some sort of kind of honest return um in terms of kind of what what the club are thinking their their approach would be or kind of some sort of vocalization of how they're looking to readjust and you know some of that's come out through reports more recently than actually direct communication from the club but i think I think a lot of a lot of this will be told to us indirectly by how they operate and how things are done and, and what we see over the next few months. It doesn't necessarily have to be verbalised to us in, in every sense uh, or for every for every point of, of change they make. But it would be nice to kind of hear some at least outline of, of what they plan to do or how they plan to to approach certain aspects of of the running of the club. Um, and it would go a long way. To there has to be there has to be a level of. Um, level of trust that needs to be earned from from the club now and I think it is going to be remains to be seen how quickly or if, if it how successfully that will be done but uh, if we are going to be kind of making these big changes then we, we kind of need to start seeing it I'd say relatively early in these next few weeks to kind of get a good feeling amongst the fan base heading into a new difficult season mm. what, what, what do you reckon? No, I agree. I think that's the key thing as well actually isn't it? Trying to just anything to generate a bit of optimism and positivity and and give supporters something to um, something to cling to. I'm, I'm less bothered about them saying they've made mistakes as I am showing they learn from mistakes, which obviously yeah. is that the, the infamous now infamous quote that will probably be on Paul Scott Duxbury's um, tombstone or at some point, um, certainly in his Wikipedia page, um, because you know talk is cheap. It's, it's actions now, isn't it? We all know mistakes have been made. Um, and, and and look, to play devil's advocate, there's no guarantee that what we think is the solution will prove successful. You know, they might bring in another incredibly experienced out-of-work manager next season who gallops back into the Premier League at the first attempt. You just, you just football, there are so many variables, aren't there? But I think we've been going down one path for such a long time now. They at least owe it to us to, to try something something different. Yeah, and I think clear, there's a clear pattern emergent of of, of approach uh, from a lot of teams that is that have been successful. And I think mm. seeing I think seeing this short term approach, it, it didn't used to feel like short term short termism, but now it has done. So I think you have to recalibrate and kind of reset your targets a little bit. And there's never going to be more of an opportunity to do it than now. So we have to kind of see it at least start. I think. Yeah, definitely. Next one from Terry at Rusey on Twitter. Will they ever recruit on personality and skill as opposed to just, and in brackets, questionable skill? It took me a couple of reads of this to, to grasp what he meant. Um, the, the, the crux of it, I think, being will they recruit on personality <coughs> players as well as their skill, be it potentially dubious? I, I guess we don't know what they recruit on, but I think we have to, to change the question slightly or the, the meaning of the question. We have to recruit some leaders right this summer because that feels like something we have been horribly devoid of this season yeah um you could say leaders but there's other elements there too there's also you are you looking at you looking at intelligence to player you're looking at um you're looking at kind of other other intangibles that that mm. kind of go into these these decisions on on judging a character of a player we're looking for um, coachability, you know, we look because these are all these are all things that that head coaches are going to value in in different ways and to different degrees. So, uh, I think we have to include that. Yes, I think if you're going to be if you're going to be looking at changing the way you recruit, I think finding the right personality is important. Um, I, I'm not sure um, what their plans would be in terms of, of research the player in that capacity and, and kind of interviewing and assessing the player from that. From that standpoint as well, I think we have fallen into a tendency of, of going for best value over fit, which we've discussed numerous times, um, which we're actually quite good at finding. We're quite good at finding undervalued talent. You know, we've had quite a few occasions of doing so, but it does lead to that kind of disjointed squad building sort of situation which we've seen too many times, especially in conjunction with 
uh, a, a random assortment of coaches with different ideas and different styles. It does kind of leave you in, a, in an uncomfortable situation. I think you kind of try and find some sort of consistency. Consistency of recruitment is something that has to has to come about pretty soon. Um, and personality types and those sorts of things should should definitely be included in that decision making process. Yeah. 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 Uh, next one, quick one. Chris Nunn, seventeen on Twitter, who I know. Hello, Chris. Is Foster now the joint most relegated player in Premier League history? I did my research here. And I think now that he has got three relegations with us, one with Birmingham and one with West Brom, he is tied with Herman Horidison, who also got relegated five times from the Premier League, which quite a record. I don't know if you can read anything more into that than they just play for bad teams. Um, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. <laughs> I think that's probably fair. It's quite a record. Well, it's weird to think of him relegated us three times. I guess, yeah, of course he has been, but it's just, yeah, not the best, uh, not the best record, no. No, certainly not. Uh, Jamie Parkins is next. Kids that could be the future but unproven or nulls. Championship experienced players that ultimately are not premiership standard for the team next year. Which would we prefer? I think we're going to be pretty unilaterally agreed here that we'd like to see um, some youngsters, right? Or at yeah, least I think the right you, blend of both. Yeah, well, I think that's it. Yeah, if you're looking for if you're looking for kind of the best uh, best suiting uh, what the best fit for the club you want. You want a variety. Uh, you want to have the, the mixture. I think the, the squad. You definitely. You generally could be looking at the squad at being a lit a little bit more in depth. You have to have a little bit of a bigger squad. So finding that balance to kind of have that nice middle ground of, of quality and, and not experience but value as well. Um, and the, again, I don't wouldn't rule off too many players because they're older. But I also wouldn't kind of put so much of value on the fact that they're kind of experienced. I think it all has to be looked at as an individual basis and say what can they contribute to the team as a broader um from a broader standpoint how yeah. what's going to impact be at this club rather than their their individual individual value uh, where they are yeah. now necessarily it's taking it back a long time but obviously the the 2005-06 team you know i think that was the perfect example wasn't it of how you can you take what you need as you say and what they're actually going to offer in value you know you had someone like ashley young who was obviously very young you had um anthony McNamee, who was fairly young and homegrown dominic blizzard played quite a few games that season but the other end of the scale, and, you know, they signed players that weren't old by any means as well, Ben Foster being one of them. Um, mm-hmm. But at the other end of the scale, you know, they brought in someone like Malcolm Mackay, who was about 34 when we signed him. But, you know, what a role he played in getting us up. Um, yeah. And then he played a bit less the following season. So I think it's it's that blend, isn't it? It's, it's, it's always the answer. Um, we'll even look at the, the team that got us promoted last year. There was that sort of blend. It wasn't perfect, but... Uh, it, it's still a, it, it's still kind of a, it's just a tried and tested way of squad building, and you have to, you have to kind of assess it just on the target by target basis. I think. Do you find competing at the top end of the championship more enjoyable than trying to survive in the prem? Asks Rob R Jacko ten. Oh, it's one of those. I don't know about you. I've been kind of bargaining with myself in in recent weeks and months as it's become increasingly apparent will go down that I do prefer being in the championship. However, from memory of being in the championship last time, it all just feels a bit tin pot compared to being in the Prem, doesn't it? Yeah. This so, is a balance. They can, both can be unenjoyable. Both can be enjoyable. It's just, I think obviously if you're in the championship, you're competing in the top end, you're winning more games, which at least feels, feels yeah. better. Um, but it's... I don't know. I think I, I think for me, I still think the, the Premier League because I, I think if you are competing to stay out in the Premier League, there's at least hope of progress. Whereas if the, in the Championship fighting at the top end, ultimately your goal is still to get promoted. So I, I think I think I'd have to go for the for the uh, the Premier League personally. I'm gonna say Championship, partially yeah. to be contrary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a tough. It's, it's a close one, honestly, because yeah, you could definitely argue for, e- for either. No, certainly. Look, I've, we've had some great times in the Premier League in the recent years, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed them and thoroughly enjoyed going to those games. Um, so, yeah, ask ask me in twelve months' time if we're when we're potentially facing a second season in the Championship, and I may disagree, but <laughs> I'm fickle yeah. of nothing else. Uh, John Goods is up next. Johnny Hornet, eighty-one. Two questions. I roll them into one. Is Roy the most unlikable manager in the last 30 years? And does anyone understand his tactics? I think the first one's probably predicated on how old you are and, and what managers you remember. Um, I dare say supporters of a certain age 
would probably have found Terry Bassett more dislikable. And uh, there's a point here, I suppose, isn't there? What's or what's unlikable and what's kind of and how much does success bleed into that as well? Because you know, Viali as well was was he personally unlikable or is he just associated with a a really horrible time in the club's history? I don't know. So there are candidates. What do you reckon? I think there's also recency bias too, but I, I think, I mean, yeah, I think it's been pretty, pretty unenjoyable time. So, I mean, I can definitely get behind that train of thought. And I think it's, it, it's not just the manager. I think it's, it's the one of the most underwhelming, disappointing times of supporting the club. Which again, that, maybe that's harsh. There've been some rough. There've been some rough experiences too in other in other ways with the, with the club. But it's just been particularly unpleasant. And I think the head coach really just kind of been the cherry on top of, a, of an unpleasant season. The way we've ended has just been kind of disastrous, and it, it's hard not to have a lot of that feeling going towards um, Roy as the appointment. What I would say, maybe as a compromise to John, is he's probably one of the most divisive um, managers and, and kind of confusing managers that we've we've had because I think a lot of what he says has, has rubbed people up the wrong way. Um, but yeah. I'm sure that doesn't, you know, can't speak for everyone in saying that. In terms of his tactics, yeah. I think we've talked about this quite a few times. It's just been a little bit kind of, baffling and disappointing at the same time I think we understand them we know what he's we know what they are it's just that it's not very good <laughs> yeah very true <laughs> the simplest way of looking to, at it to overly, to overly simplify it yeah yeah uh, Lou Whiteman says do other clubs do mid-season testimonials or are we unique I don't know what that means do you who is our, test- who is our testimonial I don't feel like we've had one, have we? Or is that saying that our games have been so uncompetitive they resemble testimonials? Okay. <laughs> I mean, Potentially. That's, the, the, yeah. I mean, if, if that's the question, then fuck, I, I, I don't disagree. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm now thinking, was there, there wasn't a Troy Dean testimonial, was there a saying? No, I don't think so. No, no. 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 Yeah. I, let us, let us well. know what you actually meant, Lou. Clear that one up for us and we'll give you a Apologies if we've time. just made the joke land flat because that's how bad of a season we've had where I'm actually <laughs> questioning if we had a testimonial midway through. So, <laughs> um, uh, Regular underscore Chris, does Roy know what he's doing? I think we've probably answered that for John. I think he does, but it's maybe ill-advised. Is that is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think so. And next we've got Jack WFC123. Who are all of your top choices to take over as manager? Well, there's only two of us, but we'll both give our our choices. Who You go first, Jordan. Who do you want in the dugout next season? <sighs> you know, I'm, I'm not, it's, I'm not fully, kind of my, I haven't decided on one in particular. So I think it just has to be, uh, we have to just see some of the traits and some of the qualities that we we kind of want to see in the coach. And I think there's always going to be some level of uncertainty. A lot of the candidates we're interested in, a lot of the candidates that have been spoken about are relatively, they're not unknown quantities, but they're a little bit harder to, to kind of be confident what you're going to see from them exactly. So it's more about seeing the, um, just that kind of the, 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 as I said, the traits coming through. And I think you look at, you look at Eustace, as an option, there's a lot to like there in terms of um, in terms of the person, the character, and there are some some promising signs in, in regarding in regard to his coaching, which is again not had a ton of opportunity to to witness what he does with the first team. But there's there's been some good conversation around him. Same goes for McKenna, a little bit more, um, a little bit kind of more on McKenna. So he's definitely up there. And then I still do have an interest in Diego Martinez, but it seems that that is less and less likely um, the more reports that come out. So if I, had to, if I had to narrow down to say one, I think I'd say McKenna at this point. Okay, interesting. I must admit, I've not seen necessarily a lot of the team, if we're, if we're just going from the kind of names of that we've seen touted, I've not necessarily seen a lot of the football that these um, that the, the, these coaches uh, play or their teams play, and I can't say I know a huge amount about them all necessarily, but I have been um, kind of suckered in, I guess, for want of a better word, by the, the John Eustace um, thing, mainly because I love him, loved him as a player. I thought 
in a rough time, he was, you know, the embodiment of everything you wanted in a player. But evidently from from how he's done, and I read Luan's bit um, on, on Twitter the other week or last week, and, you know, certainly seems to have preached a pretty decent style of play when he was at Kidderminster, got them in the playoffs twice. Uh, and, you know, if nothing else, we're all going to back him for longer because he's a bit of a kind of modern day club legend, isn't he? So that would probably be, that would probably be my pick, but I put it this way. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be unhappy if one of the others rocked up, you know, they've all got a kind of the names that have been touted have all got a bit of a, a record of, of delivering successful teams and playing a decent style of play. Haven't they? You know, Russell Martin did a yeah. good job at MK Dons has done a great job at Swansea as well. Um, and, and obviously, um, uh, uh, Ian Manning, got MK Dons into the playoffs. Rob Edwards has got Forrest Green up. Um, so, you know, we certainly seem to be... And I'll tell you what, as much as anything, and, and I, I suspect you'll agree here, we do at least seem to have identified a style or a type of manager, rather, and that is consistent. Whereas in the past, you know, there was this manager does this, this manager does that. There was no consistency. In, and I feel like yeah. at least there might be variation in their styles of playing, what have you, but... At least we are looking in one place now, I think. I yeah, think. they're trying to identify a specific profile, hopefully. Profile, and, that's the word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's, and that's, I mean, that's probably it's some semblance of a plan. And that's what you want to see, so. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, final sort of six or seven questions. Howie Gosling, Howl Gozza on Twitter. Why doesn't Roy want to try and win games? I think that's a good, a good question. It's a bit flippant, but I also think it's not a bad question. Like, it doesn't, Certainly, in the way we've set out, you know, I was at the, I wasn't, I didn't watch the Watford game on the Palace game on on Saturday. I was at Wealdstone against Kings Lynn, um, which was probably a better game. And I was watching kind of the reaction on Twitter and whatnot, and and looking at kind of stats on live score. And we had twenty nine percent of the ball at one stage, and obviously, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. But you just think, bloody hell, if you're going to try and win a game against the Palace team, they've got nothing to play for. You do need to have a bit of the ball, and it just seems, I don't know. Obviously, he's trying to win games, but the way they do it doesn't seem to tally with any kind of how you would expect a team to try and win a game, does it? Or am I being overly simplistic? No, I, I, I think, I think, I think the, the the team is being overly simplistic. I don't think there's there's much much of an attempt to impact the games very rarely at all. I think as, as you kind of said at the beginning of the episode, here it's it was a game which we. Had to win, but we didn't really show any kind of plan to do so. We didn't really kind mm. of start the game with any intent and just kind of fizzled out. And it was just, you know, rather depressing fixture. And I think that's been that's been far too common. And yeah, it, it's it's tough to to kind of find an answer to to how or or what he's trying to um, to achieve with the the way he sets up. So it, yeah, I mean, I can't really disagree too much. I don't really know <laughs> why we haven't tried to to do more and be a little bit more proactive. Uh, David Muggins underscore 77 cents. How can our hierarchy be so incompetent? You make mistakes, learn, adapt, and move on. Our lot make mistakes and must another mistake, another mistake, get lucky, learn nothing, mistake, mistake. I hate feeling so much apathy towards my the club I first saw play 40 years ago. It's hard to argue with. I think there's also an element of, as you said earlier, recency bias with this. We've had, you know, in pots of ownership, we've had 10, 10 years this summer. Um, We've only really had two properly ranked seasons, haven't we? This season and the the last Premier League relegation. Um, mm. You know, otherwise, I, I, I would say it's hard to tar their entire rage, reign with with that brush. What what do you make of it? I think I think an issue that's always going to happen is you become you become comfortable within decision making. You can be wary of change. Uh, a lot of the time, change is slow to come by. Um, you get stuck in your ways a little bit. You have success with something, and you kind of want to try and replicate that success. And you kind of can get into a trap of just doing the same thing and hoping that um, you can find what, whatever led you to, to success in the first place. And I think that's the, the difficulty is when you have when you have some success, you get promoted. It's it's hard. It's harder to justify and argue with yourself that you still have done you know a lot wrong, or you, there's things you could have done better when you've achieved ultimately your goal. And whilst we did get promotion. Um, you could definitely go back and look at that season and say, well, we could have done things differently. Have we set ourselves up for the next season? Well, you know, there's lots of elements. It's a dynamic sport and there's so many areas of input that there's always something to improve upon. But 
uh, for me, I think the, the one thing where the club has really struggled to to adapt is just just kind of having the humility and just being humble enough to say, "Oh, okay, this this hasn't worked. Let's address it quickly, um, mm. or at least try to. Even if it leads, to, it, it might lead to another mistake, and then that can be somewhat more. That can be a bigger fear, perhaps, for someone to have an unknown mistake over one they feel a little bit more control over. Yeah, I think that's fair. Isn't, I think the thing that we've always said is they know when to sack a manager normally, but it's the fact that they keep having to sack. A manager that's probably the one thing that you would you would kind of point at throughout this 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 ownership um but even so they have uh there have been other missteps as well i think it's it's fair to say and recruitment is the, is the other one and, and it's it's easy to point them out from afar after the event but i think you know there are lots of people that would say well hang on i saw that coming as well so mm. it's you would almost you would almost accept I think a season of transition now if it meant dealing with some of the things right that have yeah basically been plaguing us for a while mainly in the re- recruitment stakes I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, fair next one Ted Crilly thirteen which lessons did they learn from season nineteen twenty how have they applied when why did they fail and when will Duxbury accept responsibility for the stinking mess man up and quit. Um, Ted very happy with Scott Duxbury's tenure. <laughs> Big Scott Duxbury fan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. I mean, I think that that's probably a question for Scott Duxbury to be honest. In terms of what lessons did they learn, I think it's the thing that's been said about this season in the last couple of days since relegation has been confirmed is that it it mirrors the nineteen twenty season in a lot of way, or if not mirrors, there are a lot of um, lot of similarities. And I think that suggests that, as Ted probably knows, in asking that question, uh, lessons perhaps have not been learned. Yeah, well, I think that's partly. I think that's one of the kind of. That's one of the byproducts of getting promoted at the first attempt last year. It kind of, you know, it, it does kind of mask a few issues, doesn't it? Because you, you you were successful in achieving that goal, and then suddenly, you know, maybe you can you can kind of brush over some of the the, the deeper rooted problems. But it it's tough. It, it's a really tough situation to to kind of pick apart when you get certain pieces of information, but but not enough to to always have the clear understanding of of what the issues are. But I don't think Duxbury's ever to come out and resign. I think it has to be a decision made from above him. It's, it's hard to tell, but it seems that, that Gino does have a lot of trust in, in Duxbury for, for right or wrong. No, absolutely. I think I think there's a yeah unbreakable bond probably between the owners and Scott which is always un- Which can be unhealthy, of course, as well. That's, it can be, yeah. yeah. No, completely. Uh, Dom Smith, 999. It's been an absolutely pathetic effort, but which games would you rank as the most... Three most pathetic performances of the season. Ted Crilly replied to this one saying, last one, this one, and next one, which is a very good response. Um, Jordan, gone. I'll put the pressure Oof. on you. Three worst of the season. Okay, top of my head. I might change my mind upon reflection, but just I have to think the two home games, one against Norwich, yeah, uh, one against Palace, I felt was particularly bad. Um, and then I think Wolves away has to be the worst one, right? Oh, I hadn't thought about Wolves away. Yeah, Norwich would be top for me because I went uh, and it was just the most feeble display ever against a team that virtually from the first week of the season looked like they were going to get relegated. I think you have to yeah. probably put um, Palace at home in there because all the goals were just so bloody soft. And yeah. yeah, it was Palace at home. I think it was that just off the back of the Southampton game or was it Villa away? It was certainly off the back yeah, of an away that's... win and you just thought, right, come on then. If we're going to do it, it's got to be now. And, and we yeah. didn't. Um, and then I'll be tempted to put Palace away in there because you know yeah. bloody hell. Was it? If was you it ever going to show we're up? We're three 0 down after we were three 0 down after twenty minutes when we at Wolves. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that one in particular for me, just yeah, it just it, the yeah, I don't know. I mean, I also am trying to involve some level of um, of sympathy for the fans that went to it, and I think that one definitely uh, definitely is up there for that reason alone. No, agreed. Uh, final question. There's so many to choose from. We're, we're still well, for choice. So yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> final question from Matt Gorm, eighty-two, and I'll do some tactful editing uh, as I answer the as I read this one out for you. On a scale of one to ten, or senile old bleep, how much? Uh, sorry, Santa to senile old bleep. How much has Roy Hodgson taken the piss out of Watford today, and more importantly, the fans at the game? Uh, laughing with the Crystal Palace players at the end, cl- applauding the Crystal Palace fans as he walks off, ignoring Watford fans and saying they were too far away. I think we we 
touched on this at the top, but just to uh, round it off, maybe with a, with a numeric value, with uh, ten being the worst, what 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 do we reckon? I mean, solid nine and a half, wasn't it? I think. <laughs> I think so. Up there. I think so. Yeah. That would do me. I think probably only thing instant I can think of that was potentially worse was. Uh, was uh, Walter Mazzari putting two goalkeepers on the bench in the final day of the season? I kind of appreciated that though. Like at least I, I pre- you know, there was it wasn't a slight at us at least. No, that's like, not, that... not saying. And honestly, I'm not saying that Hodgson was a slight at us, but it, it's just it always going to have a such direct impact on the fans. This that one was at least humorous. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, there you go. Those I think were all the ones that we got in advance. Did you get any in the duration of this recording? Uh... Are these are these are questions on the, the tweet that I put out, or is it? A yeah, time? they were. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then we think we've covered them. Then. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Unless there's anything else, I think we'll knock it on the head there. Yeah, I think we think we pretty much uh, pretty much covered it. All right. Excellent. Well, that's it for another depressing episode of uh, <laughs> what for us. Um, the, the, a depressing season almost finally at a finish. If you have any positivity. Uh, and any will to do anything Watford related left in your body at this stage, then do make sure you like, subscribe, share the podcast, comment, review on iTunes. It really does help us when we do appreciate it hugely. We also have a Patreon. You can find details of that on our Twitter page, which is Watford Pod. Um, and in the meantime, give Jordan at Jordan One and myself at TB Bodell and Matt Messiano, who would have been here and would have loved to have dissected this mess, I'm sure, follow as well as I fill for time. His Twitter handle is Messi Messiano. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back after the Everton game. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 